Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 100th episode of Catching Foxes. No, we did not start 100 weeks ago. We started much longer than that, but <laughs> yeah, not, not really consistent with our releasing. We have a special guest. The <laughs> we have an <laughs> intro now, it? apparently, as well. Yes, I know. <laughs> Shut up, Luke. <laughs> Shut up. This is important because I want to. I want to highlight why we have our guest on the show now. Brandon, I, w- I was just corrected. Yes, uh, earlier today at an event, how to say your last name, and now I've I've despaired. Well, how I pronounce I it bot, name? but you are totally free to say it however you want. We That's live in right. a relativistic culture, so whatever you want. Bra- <laughs> Mm. <laughs> yeah. uh, Brandon Vogt. Uh, <laughs> See, I thought it was Vought, too. I thought it was Vought, too. That's what I said. And someone goes, no, it's Vogt. And I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, that's how you pronounce it. It's a long O. And I was like, oh, I hate you. So not you. Not you. Uh, so anywho, we, because of uh, our very uh, Luke episode of on <laughs> like the Catholic, <laughs> the Catholic convoca- Convocation, where all, my whole because job was Luke. this. <laughs> was to stoke the fires every time Luke would make a comment. I'd be like, Luke, why don't you unpack that more with rage? Uh, Brandon sent a wonderfully uh, a wonderful email to us. Um, <laughs> I, don't you love it how it's like, hey, guys, appreciate you, <laughs> but let's get down to business. Um, Luke essentially called Brandon a heretic. And that's not I, what I mean. <laughs> no, I know, I know. And that's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about the Catholic Convocation or the Convocation of Catholic Leaders. We want to talk a little bit more in depth about um, a lot of the stuff going on in terms of, you know, the millennials, church today. If we have to say the word nuns, can we just get this out? It's N-O-N-E-S. Yeah, n- and then, yeah. It's just so, and this joke is killing me. Every now. parish I go to. Every parish. Although, Luke, we have to say it because when you were talking about the nuns, literally I had a, a person come up to me at a Superville conference saying, I literally thought you were talking about women's religion. We, we also had people who on the episode, yeah, I, I can't get it. Yeah, well, you know, hey, some people just aren't smart, you know? It's tough. <laughs> and there are listeners. Thank you. Patreon support us right now. <laughs> Patreon.com slash CF. Oh, man, it's a train wreck. Stickers. So, uh, yeah, so anywho, um, so Brandon, thank you so much for reaching out. And we were like, we need to turn around on this right now. Strike. While the fire is hot. So why don't you talk about, you said something really awesome in your email. Um, so for those of you who don't know, Luke, why don't you explain some of your frustrations with the overall, what did you say, about the first half of the first day of the conference? And then Brandon can, can talk about uh, what I thought was great in your email, mentioned about the USCCB's policies for the different panels mm-hmm. and stuff. I, I would say that my biggest frustration, and this is more, it's the... Convocation was, to me, almost like a microcosm of the things that I experience on a daily basis working for the church. I can't say who I work for on the on the podcast, although it's very uh, um, obvious. So HR, come on. But uh, anyways, um, and just this idea of like, oh, we're going to strategize out of this problem that is um, – that is, um, postmodernism that is relative that is our modern age and we're going to get butts back into the pews and all we need is a really good strategy as opposed to as opposed to the emphasis being on grace and now, and and I do want to say the funniest thing Brandon I know you're not a listener your buddy of yours is and told you about this episode but uh <laughs> me and Luke have gotten in periodically we get in these intense arguments like he's like it's not like a freaking SWOT analysis is going to do anything and I'm like I like SWOT analysis and then we argue about that and and it's a lot of fun and then we cuss and then we drink some more and then we move on with our faith and then we say horrible names to each each other and then we like cry <laughs> holding each other going I love you you're just so great you're my good friend so and then, and then we realize we probably shouldn't drink while we're recording <laughs> the show yeah much to my wife's secret so that's so kind of like in a nutshell and, and I'm coming at this from a person who, um, if I'm, my background's primarily in Catholic education, with only being in ministry full-time for about, I'm going to count three months at a parish, um, <laughs> about, <laughs> I'm just going to, um, about, two and a, like, about two and a half years or so. And when I got into ministry and the way that um, I do ministry at the place where I work uh, was a big paradigm change for me, like a really huge paradigm change where, cause you know, again, when you're at schools, it's like, you've got an institution and you have an, you know, you, you have an or- organization and you've, you know, bo- I was, I was in admin. So, you know, like boards and all that kind of stuff that the church has those things. But I started to see that what, what really brought about 
fruit was when I got away from that, that stuff and kind of was the church as opposed to talking about the church. So th- this has been like two years of all of this. And at the g- convocation for me, it, like the stuff that really got under my skin was like everywhere. And I had a really hard time with it. It probably wasn't until about the talk with uh, Curtis Martin and that um, and then they had the sister of light. Like that was the first thing that I was like, oh my gosh, someone's speaking on my language right now. And it didn't feel just like, just really. So that's, I don't know, I'm, I'm just trying to paint like a broader picture here. Because I think what may have gotten um, c- kind of like lost within that episode is context. And if it's like an isolated, if that's the first episode that like you were to, that you were uh, to have heard, I totally understand why you might think I'm the worst person alive, and I don't blame you for that. So I, I, my original email to Brandon was, so Luke was not enraged. Luke was that is normal Luke emotion. And, and then I was like, and I was like, I should not say things about Luke, especially since I didn't copy him on the email, which yeah. was awesome. But um, but I yeah, was watching so, the game, so it was fine. Yeah, but one of the comments that Luke had made was alluding to the panelists all being Pelagians, and you're like, and Brandon Team was like, none of us denied original sin here, people. Come on. And it made me so hard. But the funny thing was, we recorded a follow up episode where I was like, Luke, do you know what that reminded me of? That reminded me of first year students at Franciscan who called the teacher a heretic <laughs> because they're like, oh, well, you're teaching heresy, teacher. I know. I've read a Scott Hahn book, right? And so. I know Scott Hahn books. I, you should. Uh, so, anywho, Brandon, I, I just thought you wanted to clue us in and fill us in a little bit more on the panel discussion, yeah, especially the ones that you were all, involved First of all, guys, in. thanks so much for having me on. You guys are delightful. <laughs> and I got to say, we're probably on the same wavelength with most of this stuff. We might not articulate it the same way, but I'm super sympathetic with pretty much everything you just said, Luke. Uh, it's, you know, my experience, too, at these sorts of events, they, they typically are meeting centered you get you get a thousand voices around a table you discuss a topic ad nauseum there doesn't really seem to be much fruit coming out of it and so what was intended to be this exciting energetic renewing experience turns out to just be a bureaucratic dud so i I totally get all of that and and i'm totally sympathetic with your concerns with it uh but I'm glad you you echoed something that you said during the the previous episode. You talked about this about grace because that that's what I'm really interested to hear more about from your perspective. So it sounded like you were maybe contrasting uh, like a a more strategic model of solving some of these problems with one based on grace. Is that a good distinction? Am I saying that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so like that's where the uh, plagiarism aspect comes into play here, which is pretty much if we just change A and B, we're going to get C. And to me, what I've experienced is when that's the attitude, it denies the freedom of the of the individual and inherently turns them into a a project because and it just and it basically becomes about us as opposed to grace, yeah. where I take the standpoint of the work that we do, like, I, um, so I'm going to steal from um, a best friend of mine, where basically we are, like, I really like how... Um, wait, wait, Luke, are you talking about me? No. <laughs> um, <laughs> Damn it. Where uh, Benedict's people, like, um, his seal thing had an image of a bear in the way that, like, we're carrying people to to Christ, paving, like, paving um, the way so it's as easy, so, so, for, so, People's access to Christ is as clear and as easy as possible, but it's still like grace does all of the all of the work. We just bring yeah. it them. To, we just try to like we just try to make it as easy as as it can be, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, makes total sense. I think part of the problem is trying to bifurcate these two things in an extreme way that you have grace on one side and and either strategy or works on the other side Mm -hmm. where the Catholic thing would say both and, you know, yes to grace, but yes to strategy. If God works through secondary causes, then our strategy is fueled by grace. It's like, you know, I, I was a former Protestant converted to Catholicism. This was kind of at the crux of what I wrestled with, because most Protestants think that Catholics are driven by works, and so it aligns with your critique maybe of this conference or about certain forms of evangelization, that it's all about strategizing and figuring out ways to pull these levers to achieve these effects. Um, 
when the Protestants would say we're more about pure grace, you know, grace alone, sola uh, gratia, but the Catholic would say that, again, God works through secondary causes. These things aren't competitive with each other, but that they, they work through each other. So you could say, for example, that uh, a stre- like, uh, well, let me say this another way. I don't think you could talk about a grace-filled strategy, a, a grace-filled activity in the church without it being a strategy. So even the, the bare example you just mentioned, you could just as easily say, well, that's a strategy. You know, that's a strategy to clear out barriers and obstacles to make it easy as possible for people to encounter Christ. So I think that's part of my hang-up with the sort of Pelagian language and accusations is that even conferences like this, which tend to be heavy on the bureaucracy, the strategies, the formulaic approaches, even those, I think, are still laden with grace, and they're not opposed to it. I would, you know, what's interesting uh, as someone who wasn't invited and did not attend the conference and has no chips on his shoulders about that. Um, I think that was a joke. I'm very upset. Uh, I think that when we encounter um, a lot of these meetings, oftentimes, and I don't just mean the bureaucratic thing. I mean the meeting in the parish, which can also be very bureaucratic. But oftentimes, the the central driving force is not grace. So let me let me put that in context. So I went to a, me, a, a leadership summit run by a group of evangelicals. Now, it wasn't for evangelicals only, but that's largely who came. It was held at an evangelical church. And the entire time, right, so they're teaching how to be a better leader. They're going through different principles of church leadership and business leadership and all this stuff. So it's very businessy oriented, right? But the entire time, we are all... I mean, there's moments of silent prayer that go on for 20, 30 minutes. There's, of course, the evangelical version of a liturgy, which is, you know, praise and worship music, a talk, a biblical-based talk, more praise and worship music, and then a soloist. Um, and you have this this kind of movement, but the whole, even though I didn't really care for the leadership conference, it felt like it was just rehashed things from 21 Laws of Leadership and whatnot, the emphasis was continuously on prayer, on repentance as, as a body, as a leader. You know what I mean? And one of the things that I feel like for a lot of these events, it's missing is one word, like the prophetic voice to speak this out over, like, if I were running this meeting, and I never will, that's why they don't invite me to these things, but if I were running this thing, one of the things that I would do is do a call to repentance, right, of, of, of just acknowledging the lack of how, you know, how, how we as leaders have become too comfortable with programs and processes and event-based ministries that we've forgotten the person. You know, I, I personally had to do this with running RCIA, right? Like, I have all these programs and goals and sets, and people would come up to be like, it's not really working. I'd be like, that's because you're stupid, and you don't have a fancy degree like I do. And then you realize, like, oh, no, human beings are a little bit different. You know what I mean? Like, if I were to, 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 to look at prayer and not just see the liturgy of the church, but to look at prayer as like, like a convocation of Catholic leaders, let's take the thousands of us right now and just call upon the grace of God in a, in a more, I, I would just use the word prophetic way. I don't really know any other word that kind of captures what I'm going for. Kind of like the, the early church in Acts 4 where the, you know, the apostles are arrested and then they're, they're let go after being beaten. And then what did they do? They pray for protection? No, they pray for boldness. And the whole church gathered with them to pray for boldness. I'm looking for like an, a movement of the Holy Spirit like that happening at one of these events. Um, you know, do you know what I mean? Am I making any sense? Should I just go home? I'll just go home. Yeah. Well, amen to all that. I, I would I totally agree with that. What, what were you going to say, Luke? Well, because I, I think that it, um, yeah, like, like what you're getting at it. Like, so here's the thing that really for us, that really frustrated me was there was this meeting with this group was not a part of the convocation per se, but we had a meeting at like really early in the morning and already Luke's pissed. (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell like by the tone of my voice Um, early in the morning? And and I was like, I was out drinking last night. This is absurd. Um, (laughs) I'm having my own movement of the spirit. My archbishop is so lucky that I love him. Okay. Um, um, But anyways, you know, and I was like, we, we had such a great opportunity for this group to like come together and pray, to pray for the people that we like, minister to, because here are like so here are all these leaders from across the from a, from across the country, and instead we're just talking about some project that we all know isn't going to go anywhere. 
you know, watching like or that we all like have like we all in in, in like the back of our minds are like, what's the point of this? And it, it's it gets tough. So here, um, like, why aren't we like praying? Uh, together and giving witness to what God is doing within our own lives, within our own families, within our um, within our own ministries, how God is working. And to well, me, I mean, there, there was that. There was a good deal of that, you know. And, and listen, I'm not going to defend this whole conference. There's tons <laughs> of things I wish would have been different. But I mean, there were lots and lots of prayer sessions, 24/7 adoration at every single public gathering. There was at least one witness speaker giving a testimony. You, you mentioned Luke's sister Miriam James's testimony, which was, uh, for me, as it was for you, I think, maybe the highlight of the whole thing. So I think there was a good deal of that. It sounds like we're all probably agreeing maybe there should have been more. It was disproportionate to all of the meetings yeah. and the paneling and the planning and all that stuff. Luke and, comes... And I think... I'm oh, sorry. No, I was Go just going to say, Luke is in the middle of the burden of bureaucracy, right? I'm lucky in that I have a very big side hustle where I derive a lot of spiritual renewal because it's just like, hey, come and do this thing that you love to do, which is talk with individuals and groups and yeah. spend a lot of time with them, right? So I was just at an event that was largely a, it was mass and a social, and I went to it because I'm the only Steubenville speaker left that's still in the St. Louis area. So I was like, oh, this will be cool. I'll go and kind of network with some of the people and chit-chat with them and stuff and meet with the youth ministers and stuff. But there's this uh, – so I get a lot of benefit from that. And at my job, which obviously like any job is a jobby job, right? You spend 60-plus percent of your time doing email like any other job in the modern world. But there's this beautiful stuff that I, I do not have to wrestle with most of that of, of bureaucracy. And when I'm asked to lead things, I get to lead it the way I want to lead it, which is if, if the whole parish staff is involved, they're going to hear the kerygma over and over again. And um, they're going to uh, they're gonna be challenged to make a commitment to Christ again or renew their current commitment. I do that every single time. And then I spend, you know, like 30, 40 minutes just in different types of prayer, right? Because that's what I want. I think the number one problem with the church today is that we aren't repenting. Uh, we are just, we're doing too much planning or we, we have a bunch of priests who are burned out and bishops who are overworked and lay people who are professionals who are treating it like a career instead of as a ministry or an act of service. And so you have all yeah. these competing yeah. things and then you take that, what little I had to do with it, and then you multiply it to an archdiocesan level and then you have a loop. Or a diocesan, who knows which one it is. Who, who knows? <laughs> no one knows. It might be a metropolitan sea. Who knows? Um, <laughs> It's an eparchy. Um, it might be but, a nasty natty. We n we're not sure. <laughs> but Luke is definitively the most anti-authoritarian <laughs> guy working in an archdiocese that you'll ever meet. Luke, what, was the, what did your T-shirt say? In uh, I know what college? you were thinking about. The God what is not you? an American shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so let me, so, um, but Brandon, here's, so here, here's like the, the last thing that I'll say. I mean, we can just keep like talking about this, but there's just, there, there is like this other road that I would I'm love to go down with that I would love to... Uh, um, to talk about, um, I, 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 I really do want to like emphasize that I think the, um, I think overall, and this is what I've said every time that I have talked about the convocation is that the pros outweigh the cons of like what happened there. Like, I think like it's going to bear good fruit. Cause I think a lot of, I, I, I do think a lot of good things happen there. I just want to throw that out there. That's all. Um, one of the things that like kind of got me going down this um, um, whole road is the Ratzinger uh, quote, and um, I don't know if you have heard it or not. Uh, that where um, he says um, the answer to man's problem in in uh, to man's pr problems in every age is holiness, not management. H have you heard that before? Yeah. So like for me, when I when I um, hear that, and I like hear, and I um, hear the word strategy, like those don't. It's like oil, oil and water. And I have really, and I, I really want to, uh, I really want to emphasize. Like I have struggled with this, and I have prayed about this, and I've like, this has been like the great like war with you know in my soul. It's like what, so then what, in the, like with that quote in mind, what does what does ministry look like? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think to be accurate, the, the the quote that he said was something about like the answer to man's needs is not holiness, but man, uh, is is holiness not management? So management instead of strategy. But I think it gets at the same thing. Yeah. It sounds like it sounds like you have like a deep visceral 
distaste for that sort of language, like management, strategy, because, I mean, those are buzz terms in any bureaucratic group. But uh, again, I, I think my, my main point is that anything we do in the church can be described as strategy or management. Those words, to me, are, are neutral. They, they, it sounds like they're pretty loaded for you, that they come with all sorts of connotations. But, you know, I look to somebody like a Joseph Ratzinger, a Pope Benedict, who had plenty of strategies for solving these very problems we're talking about. You know, just think, for example, of the new evangelization. He himself established a pontifical council. This guy who notoriously hates management and bureaucracy himself established a council to sort of get the gears turning on it. Was that a good approach? I, I don't know. But he did a bunch of other things, too. He, you know, commissioned the uh, the Ad Gentes movement where the church would go out and put on art shows and movie festivals and have debates and things oh, like yeah. that. Oh, yeah. I forgot about mm-hmm. that. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I, I forgot. Courtyard of the Gentiles. That's what yeah. it was called. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so that's a strategy. That's a, that's a management. Uh, I, I think anybody involved in church leadership, whether you're at a diocesan level in a parish or a ministry, you can't avoid doing things that have to do with strategy and management. You can't avoid them. Even avoiding them is itself a strategy. So to me, I'm not, I don't have as much distaste for that, but it sounds like, it sounds like your frustration with it is when it's management or strategy alone, when it's separated from holiness, when it's not rooted in the prophetic dimension of the church, when when it's more formulaic than anything else, like if we just pull these particular levers, we're guaranteed this result on the end. So let's just focus on pulling the right levers. And, and if that's what you mean by it, then I'm totally with you across the board. But I, I think we can't avoid strategizing. I, I think it's a grace-filled activity. I don't think it it necessarily needs to be something to avoid. How do you? Um, I I, I told I don't know if I agree, but I totally understand that. Uh, how do you like with like that in mind? Because like we're one of the frust- one of the frustrations that I have is so for so for example um, here like like here like are the metrics that I'm going to go for and let's say it's I want to have 100 people at this e- event you know or just like something where you basically attach a number to it and and I'm going to speak more in terms not necessarily horizontal so we've got a hundred people. At, a, at this one encounter-ish event, and I want to get, you know, maybe 25 of them to this discipleship event. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah. so I'm, yeah. I'm talking more about, um, you know, we want to hit, like, we want to have, like, these numbers here. This, this is how we know if we're doing good things. How do you do that and not inherently turn a person into a, into a project? Well, I'll say a few things. One, I think that's, the again, the perennial struggle of anybody involved in church leadership is how do you measure your effectiveness? Because you always want to be wondering whether we're effective or not, because if you're not effective, you need to change your strategy. So how do you determine whether you're effective? Quantitative analysis is one way to do that, not the only way, one way. Unfortunately, I think most people in the church, when they lean on quantitative analysis, have a very shallow collection of metrics. It's usually just attendance-based. And if you're talking about online ministry, most which is the kind of stuff that I'm involved in, it's usually the sort of uh, uh, surface-level metrics, things like total number of views, you know, or total number of website visits. And you'll often hear people say, oh, we had... Uh, you know, we evangelized a million people this year. Really? How, how'd you come up with that? Well, we had a million people visit our website. Like, okay, that, you know, that might be true, but that's not a, that's not the right metric if you're trying to gauge your effectiveness in evangelization. But then so, they saw your sweet banner ad and they clicked yeah. off to go, uh, to go get right. health insurance. Well, so, well, so I'll say for, for, let me give one example here for at Word on Fire. This is a question we're always asking ourselves. We're, uh, you know, a heavily based online ministry interested in evangelizing primarily people who have left the church, uh, nuns, former Catholics, atheists, and agnostics. How do we know whether we're accomplishing what we're aiming to do? And so we've been wrestling with this question a lot, and here's how we've sort of come up with an answer. Uh, we take a two-pronged approach. So we, looked at, we look at the numbers. So there's a quantitative analysis. There's a qualitative analysis. So we keep tabs, and we categorize 
all of the stories and anecdotes that come in noting specific trends. So for example, we get several emails a week from people who, you know, will credit Bishop Barron or Word on Fire with their conversion or reversion back to the church, and they'll mention specific things that sort of led them along the way. They'll say, you know, it was this YouTube video, or it was this podcast, or, you know, it was yeah. watching the Catholicism series, etc. So Bob Dylan, keeping, totally yeah, Bob Dylan. Oh, you would be surprised. I'd say we have at least a dozen people who have become Catholic <laughs> as a result of seeing one of... Uh, Bishop Barron's Bob Dylan YouTube videos. That yeah. was the first step in. Uh, so anyway, anyway to, wrap, to wrap, put a bow on this, uh, we, we collect all these things together using the best metrics we can find and try to then paint a picture. Now that, of course, of course, is not to reduce people only to numbers. It's sort of grasping and groping at, at these trends the best way we, we can. I think the numbers help to paint a good picture about what's working and on the other hand, what's, what's not working, why people are leaving the church. They're not the final word, but they're some of the best tools that we have. And so I, I do put a lot of stock in the numbers. We just got to make sure we're looking at the right numbers and, and not trying to read into them more than they, we should. Mm-hmm. You know what's funny is a lot of, um, I was at this evangelization mastermind community where we did a SWOT analysis, suck it, Luke. And we did this, uh, this big <laughs> thing where, where all, so all these people are doing random different types, or not random, but all different types of mission fields. So you got the, the campus minister at secular colleges and, you know, all this stuff, parish people, priests, nuns, the whole deal. And we were all talking about, um, you know, the, the, the role of evangelization in parish life and whatnot. And this one guy got up and said, listen, my name is Dave. I'm a Lutheran. And everyone started laughing and because we all knew that he's not a Lutheran. He's a Catholic. And uh, he said, you know, it's funny. If I would have gotten up and said I'm an evangelical, all of you would have been taking notes. Now every, you, all you guys are just like, that's <laughs> his opinion. And it's so funny because when I look at all of these parish renewals, I, I really have it in my heart to do an audit of a lot of parish renewal programs that are going on out there. Um, and publish it on my own blog, not on my parish website, uh, to, to really look at this stuff because one of the things you see is because people don't study Protestantism, the, especially the historical development of Protestantism and free church or evangelical or fundamentalist development in America in the 20th, 21st centuries, because they don't, like if you were to walk up to a Catholic who's reading the book Rebuilt, and is reading, maybe even reading Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Church, but has never read, um, you know, anything about the church plant movement, church growth movement, that really kind of garners this underpin, that underpins the growth of evangelical non-denominational churches, you know, church, well, and Baptist churches, church growth movement is, is huge. And the way that they focus on numbers is absolutely central. And I can remember talking with someone at Life Team back when I was a Life Team youth minister, and they said, numbers tell a very important story. It's just that half the time we have no idea what story they're telling, right? (laughs) So this one guy, um, Mark Hart, actually, he did a presentation where he had a, imagine an hourglass turned on its side, and he said, you know, you're going to get a ton of people, you're you know, the kickoff and your September month and uh, into October. But the more you talk, like the more you keep it jumpy clappy, you'll get a lot of numbers. But the more you talk about conversion and Christ and what the church teaches and morality and vocation, you're going to get those people dropping out and your numbers are always going to go down. And then he said, and then it'll start to pick back up towards the end of the year, like an hourglass. And he said, oftentimes you'll find people will say, oh, we got to do more to draw people in. We got to do more. So then you do periodic events, right? You do a, a retreat in the end of October, which is, you know, a strategy to draw more people in. But you do a retreat hoping that they bring their friends and then more people will come back and kind of build up the body of life teen attenders. And he says, but the other thing you need to know is the kids that remain through all the teaching and all this, they're the ones who are really serious. And he said, so when you then shift your focus to keep it to the same size as that original group, he says, what are you doing to the kids in the middle? You're, the kids who remain, you're, you're alienating them and not giving them the more that they're seeking. So he says a lot of groups that constantly stay surfacey throughout the year, let alone all four years of their high school experience, they will hemorrhage kids because they're looking for numbers because they read some book about event-based youth ministry, right? And, the, and it'll talk about that Jesus Christ says to be fruitful, and be fruitful means more numbers, and 160, 80-fold, 100-fold, you know, multiply your disciples and all this stuff. And so one of the things that I feel like often we can do is instead of doubling down on that central core group and trying to grow the core group, 
of people who want to be there, we deliberately make it shallow in order to cast a broad net. You know what I mean? Like it's wide, but not deep, right? And that's why I think oftentimes we lose sight because we see the, 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 the numbers and we say, that's what I want. But then you look at the gospel. I mean, you look at Jesus in John 6. How many times have, have you referenced this, right? Like Jesus is unafraid to acknowledge the truth of the Eucharist even to an unbelieving and hard-hearted audience that murmurs against him and leaves. He loses almost all of his disciples at that moment. Now, my fear is that I, as a, a speaker, would shun that prophetic office and instead be like, well, I'm not going to say anything heretical, but I'm going to emphasize our common ground or keep it shallow. You know what I mean? That temptation, that, that, a, that a too heavy quantitative analysis could bring could end up jeopardizing the very thing that we're trying to give them to, you know? Yeah. Again, I think it's the the prototypical yeah. Catholic both and where. You you, know, would you call that a vibrant paradox? <laughs> you know, it would. It might be like a seed of the word in mm, a way. Mm, you know? mm, <laughs> these are so, these are non-competitive, co-inherent realities. Go on, <laughs> go on. Yeah. No, I, I'm of course in total agreement with you that our goal should not be chasing numbers. If you do that, you're making a, a huge mistake, and you're almost certainly. Uh, undermining the gospel, because it means if your sole goal is to get as many people as possible in a room, get as many people on a website or as many views as possible, then you you in some way are are acting counter to the gospel because you're not presenting it in its fullness. Totally get all that. But but I don't think that means statistics have no place, yeah. uh, in, yeah. particularly in a descriptive way. And, and that maybe will circle back around to uh, one of the, I think, points of confusion when it comes to this convocation and a lot of Luke's frustrations with our panel discussion about the nuns, you know, it sounded like he was pretty frustrated. And Luke, you, you chime in, tell me if I'm saying this right, that, you know, you were frustrated with a lot of mentioning of statistics and citing of statistics and, and demographics and surveys and things like that. And it, it seems like maybe it's going right at the heart of, of your distaste for all this stuff. But I think in, in those cases, statistics are some of our best ways to assess the landscape and understand the problem. Why are people leaving the church? We actually have a ton of data on this question from the Pew Research Center, from CARA. Several dioceses have commissioned their own exit surveys asking former Catholics why they left the church, so we get to hear from them and their own words. And so we have thousands and thousands of responses from people who have left the church. And so in, in those cases, I think it's worth studying the statistics and, and gleaning stuff from them that would affect our, our strategy. What do you think about all that, Luke? Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I get. Yeah, don't, yeah. don't hold back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no. I like. Yeah, like. I mean, of course. Like, obviously, like those things are very important. I guess where some of my frustration comes in is like I and I could be wrong. I, I perhaps I just forgot, but I don't ever remember like talking about the crisis of faith or to put it in those terms. That that like could have that very well could have happened. And I'm like everything is like blending up together. It's been a month, so. Um, but this idea of like, I, I, like one of my frustrations was, I feel like we didn't, it didn't get to the heart as to why these things were happening. Like, why does, why do we have this math? Cause like, I agree, like we're hemorrhaging people and it's really important to me that people understand this, especially people at Catholic schools who think that they're immune from all of this, which is so not true. Like I've seen, yeah. I've like yep. seen like data that points towards like, we're going to see some stuff. This is bad. Yeah. Yep. And wait, 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 well, Luke. You saw some what? Uh, shut up. Um, you saw some. What, you, you saw some data. Bite me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Based on <laughs> statistics. No, I, I, I'm not <laughs> saying like. Of course, kidding. I'm not saying that that's bad. But like, what what I find frustrating is not giving to the underlying like reasons of like why why is this going on, and because to me that's the more interesting and the more important story. Because if I understand why. It's so much easier to like speak to like that. That will like help you like go to you know. Um, it's it's not this. It's not the stats that are really the important part. The stats are like they're the result of something. What are they the result of? And I think yeah. that and that's to me the more. I guess that's almost like what I was you know hoping for, and was just that and just yeah. like you know to really talk about like why is it hard? Like why am I the only one? In, in my family who currently practices and that all like all my siblings, you know, like, and I, I love them to death. They are, I mean, 
they they're all right. Family. Yeah, they're yeah, all they're, right. Yeah, they're you know you know. Let's not get carried away. We're great. Um, carried but, away. <laughs> um, why? Um, and I find that my story echoes that of a lot of um, others. You know, we're there though. You know, only one. And at times, like our own parents who raised us in, in the faith, aren't aren't like practicing anymore. Why is that happening? What's going on? And I and I and to me, that wasn't addressed so it 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 felt like it became about these are the problems we have to fix there are these stats and that's what really frustrated I, I don't know if i'm painting a clearer picture of um of um of this or not brandon let me help out a little bit luke wrote in the margins of his, <laughs> of his... <laughs> don't tell that story what yeah, tell it i want to hear it hey, no right, he fine. just no in one of the margins of the the booklet that's printed out he just underlines some stuff and wrote bullshit and then he posted <laughs> it on twitter luke it's not like i'm sharing yeah, family secrets yeah, yeah 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 and then he drew a picture of you brandon and knives <laughs> in your eyeballs that's not true that's not true but um but no that that notion well here's one thing that statistics are very helpful I, you know i'm a i'm internet friends with sherry waddell and yeah. you know her forming intentional disciples which let's be honest things like word on fire and sherry waddell because you emphasize the curriculum so much really created this conference in anticipation of 10 years of work and labor and and all this stuff um one of the statistics that she shared with us was you know so often you hear in the media that the narrative of why people are leaving the church is the sex abuse crisis but yeah. that's actually you know statistics and all these different studies and the cool thing is when you realize that a lot of these studies are actually humans on the ground interviewing other humans as to why yeah. they left and they said, you know, the, the number one reason is I just drifted away. Yep. Um, and the number three reason, which is significantly lower than the rest, is the pre-sex abuse scandal. Now, if you were to think the other way around and you would think, oh, these people have an ideological or doctrinal. It's not to say that they don't, but their main thing is they just drifted away. That is yeah, a but, totally different uh, – that leads to a totally different approach. But, like, even that, though, like, why are they drifting away? Yeah, like that's, yeah. Well, that's, that's, like, the heart of, of – of, that's the, the question. That, that's the conversation that I want to have. And, you know, and this honestly might not be fair to you, Well, especially Brandon, with his USCCB directive. I, I know. I, but no, like, but we didn't just, bring that up yet. We didn't bring that up yet. Like, the USCCB specifically told you guys in your panel not to come up with solutions, right? Yeah, yeah, and I think that's that's worth mentioning. You know, I know Luke, you were frustrated that you, you didn't hear a lot of like, okay, here are the stats. Well, now what? But that's that's kind of what we were ordered to do at this conference. So the way they arranged it was like a three or four day conference. The first day was themed around charting the landscape and mission field. So just basically assessing the terrain, saying where are we at right now. And so our panel was on the nuns, and they specifically told us, look, don't propose any solutions for trying to draw the nuns back. There's going to be a panel on the second day on how to draw nuns back. You guys are mainly just supposed to tell us what are the statistics, what are the trends, what's going on here. And so our, our tongues were a little tied there. Which is so interesting to me. But even, I mean, but I think that's great, but I, yeah. I, I just don't understand why with the emphasis, because, like, just to me, you could have done the stats and, like, and, I, and please, I, I, I am, like, I'm not trying to be like, why did you do this? I, I just mean, like, this is just, like, what I, I'm thinking. Like, yeah. why not just go through the stats in, like, 10 minutes, you know, and then kind of say, here's what's causing that. Yeah. You know, it's, and, and, and I just, and I, I felt like it was just more um, of just the same things that I have experienced here in the diocese, which is just, here's the problems that we, like, have to manage. And I'm like, these problems are people. You know, and it's and, and so I, I don't. I, it's just um, it's is when it, it doesn't get to like the real heart of the matter. It just kind of stays on like on the surface level. I feel like, but I, I could. I'm I'm totally willing to be completely wrong on this. So <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think I think that's a fair criticism. Uh, we we tried not to spend much time talking about the stats. In fact, when we broke it up, each of us, uh, the four panelists, were supposed to talk about one thing. The stats were actually my thing. And we agreed that we would each spend three or four minutes talking about our thing at the beginning. And so I ticked off those three stats. I don't know if you remember them, but it was simply that 50% of millennials who are baptized Catholic are no longer Catholic today. Uh, 79% of, of millennials who leave, or, uh, 79% of people who leave the church leave before age 23. So the overwhelming majority are leaving as young adults, high schoolers, middle schoolers. 
And then finally, the most disparaging one was the loss gain ratio that for every one mm-hmm. person that converts to Catholicism, 6.45 leave the church. And so we spent, I, if I remember correctly, just a few minutes talking about those three. And then the rest of the thing was more anecdotal reflection, especially from the other three panelists who all work in diocesan or parish ministry, talking about their experiences with inactive Catholics, with nuns, with uh, one of the panelists is heavily involved in Hispanic ministry, talking about why that's different. But I think it, it probably is a fair criticism that we could have done more addressing the why behind these statistics, although I did think uh, one, somebody did ask, why are these people leaving? What, why is it? And, and I cited some of these statistics. Uh, Michael, the Pew Research study you, you just cited, which said that the number one reason— so people, Pew Research Center asked uh, why, of, of former Catholics, why did you leave the church? Which of these played a role? So people could check more than one. But 70, oh, I think it was like 75 to 80 percent of people checked the box that said, I just drifted away. There wasn't like one big thing. I kind of just drifted away over time, which says, you know, I I stopped going to mass regularly. I stopped being involved. Slowly I realized, I guess I'm not really Catholic, and so I'm not going to call myself that anymore. So that was by far the number one reason that real people gave. So so these are numbers, yeah, mm-hmm. but they're reflective of anecdotal responses that that tens of thousands of real people on the ground gave. And, and I think that information is enlightening. You know, if somebody just drifted away from church, what does that tell us? Well, it tells us, first of all, they probably never encountered Jesus in the sacraments, because if you've had a profound meeting with Jesus in the Eucharist or through confession, then you're just going to give Peter's answer, you know, to whom else would we go? It tells us that they probably don't have strong bonds within the parish community. You know, once again, look at our Mormon and evangelical friends. If you can get sucked into a community and plugged in so that you have strong bonds there, it's very, very difficult for you to drift away accidentally. So again, I, I think the statistics have their place even even in regards to the why question, but my, I guess my overarching point of this whole conversation is that the statistics then determine a strategy and that that strategy isn't just of our own effort, that the Holy Spirit plays a role. And I think the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. did play a role in this whole conference, that oh, it's yeah, through yeah. grace, it's through cooperating with the Holy Spirit that we're able to come up with ideas and strategies that further God's kingdom. What would you think uh, reaching out to millennials, a typical suburban parish, um, see, even even saying this, right, you're, you're setting it up for failure because you're like, Give me some advice, because right now I'm just in charge of the young adult group. And I'm like, well, group, I'm one year from aging out of. Uh, how can I serve you with alcohol? Let's do it. Uh, I, you know what? I, like, we, we started this podcast thinking the only group we were going to talk to was millennials on the margins of the church, right? And, uh, and we got a whole bunch of people who are not that at all who listen to the show. And I think one of the... The most difficult thing is finding ground to talk to. You know, my brother-in-law just got married, and uh, I, I was able to drive from the Sumo Conference right to the reception, and it was it was it was hipster central. And you know, none of those people. I like these drop dead gorgeous people with their fedoras on and their uh, <laughs> and their very colorful tattoos. Um, and I'm just sitting there like, how would how, how what, what do I need to do? What do I need to yeah. do to make you woke? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I'd say a couple of things. This is obviously your guys area far better than mine. So take all this with a grain of salt. But uh, at the end of this little panel discussion, each of our each of the panelists was asked to come up with one closing thought. And here was mine. I said that just as in Catholic social teaching, the church recommends that we take an option for the poor. You guys know what that is. Not, you know, making yeah. a, uh, not making it optional, but having a special preference for the poor. That means every economic, every political, every decision we make should be uh, should be gauged on the effect it has on the poor. So, I think it's time that the church take an option for the nuns. So, if I'm a parish, if I'm a diocese, if I'm a Catholic ministry, my driving concern would be the question you just asked. You know, what are we doing to draw millennials who are on the fringes of the culture back to the church? Because this is what the statistics are showing. We're hemorrhaging mm-hmm. millennials. It's, it's the age we're losing them. And so it's a clear case, I think, when where statistics, again, can play a role in your strategy. If, if your church is primarily concerned with attracting and retaining senior citizens— that might help the parish bottom line. It's not helping the mission of the church uh, in, in its in its most desperate need. Luke, so I think, Luke did you hear that? We got to get baby boomers on this show. 
over my dead body. <laughs> That's how we'll make the money, bro. Listen, That's again. No, but I, th- I, th- I think you do bring up a good point, though, and it's something we're focusing on at Word on Fire, is that for most young people, teenagers, 20s, 30-somethings, there aren't a lot of runways to get them plugged in to Christ through the church. You know, if you think mm-hmm. about how we've done it in the past, and again, you guys know this infinitely better than I do, it's typically, you know, invite a young person to a youth group event or a life teen night or something like that. If they're a little older, maybe one of the first things you do is invite them to Mass or you invite them to RCIA. But for many, many, many young people, all of these avenues are, are a bad fit. You know, the, they either will feel uncomfortable or awkward or it's too advanced or not mm-hmm. advanced enough. It's the wrong environment. We need more... On, it, we need more avenues, more runways to get people into the church that don't just rely on these existing structures. And so that's kind of what we're trying to do through Word on Fire. You know, how can we sort of move beyond uh, our institutional channels without discounting them, without without denigrating them, without suggesting they're unimportant? But how can we create other ways for people to come to know Christ through the church uh, to to help solve some of these harrowing problems? Yeah, how I um, there's just one story that I um, that I've actually read, so it's not like a you know it's uh, it's not one of those things that like didn't actually happen. This did happen because this was out of Ratzinger's mouth. But he talks about how he sent a paper to Hans von Balthasar for him to like pen his thoughts down on it, and um, um, and Balthasar comes back to him and he says, "Don't presuppose the faith." but propose it. Yeah. And to me, that's like such like a key insight into the, you know, whole like nuns group is this idea of like, do not take it for granted that they care about what you have to say. Yep. I mean, you got that great line from Don Bosco, right? You got to earn the right to be heard. Yeah. And with millennials, it's like, you got to earn the right to even be in the room with them because they've, they're so burned out on on all these things, on but everything. they're yeah. they're 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 inherently alien. I mean, we, like I'm in this group. I'm I I um, am not a nun, but I identify <laughs> so, like, so well with a lot of them. There are times when I pretty much like what I I was in heart, just like not in spirit, uh, which is like the great part of being a Steubenville grad. If you just can't you can't escape it, um, is <laughs> just this idea to. Um, uh, oh crap! At a great point, and honestly, like, like what I try to do with my within my own ministry, because like that's the age group that I minister to, that um, you know, like I labor for, is um, to speak to the doubt that believers have, and to speak to the temptation of belief that the doubters have. You know, as opposed to this whole like thing where it's like, come join. I feel like so often our goal is to, like get the October counts up just to get butts back into the pews. And part of me just goes, well, what's the point if they're there and they're like not they they ha- and they don't believe? Like we're just back in the same spot and we're in the 1950s again. And I don't want to be there again because we were racist, you know, or just like something, you know, <laughs> like I just uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, th- I think you're I think you're dead right. I think in many cases you're doing more damage. I, that's why I've told people somewhat provocatively that this this rise of the nuns in many ways is a good thing because if you look at the data what you find is that it's not nece- it's not necessarily that more and more people are becoming skeptical of god that they're praying less that they're frequenting church any less it's that simply they've changed their label people that once la- identified as catholic now identify as none but their attitudes towards the church their spiritual lives are pretty much the same as they were before and so to me that's a good thing because that's calling a spade a spade if if mm-hmm. somebody feels disconnected from the church i'd rather them realize that and then move from there rather than having somebody think they're a catholic or pretend to be a catholic and assume that they're they've kind of you know that that part of their life is all squared away they don't really have to do anything more with it because i think if your sole goal is getting people into the pew even if their mind or their hearts checked out you're doing more damage than good yeah, and totally. but so much of church growth movement is based on that, right? Is yep. this hardcore, like, and when, when I say this, I mean, evangelicals growing their church from nothing, you know, they, they heavily have a charism of evangelization, discipleship, because that's how they grow their church. But often what they'll do is, you know, they do a lot of research as to, you know, where are population centers and all this stuff, where's the demographics already growing? And then what they'll do is they'll host a lot of events to get butts in seats, 
And through those events that get butts and seats, their hopes is, you know, three or five percent each time out of a, you know, hold a secular concert at the church or hold a religious concert at the church. I was told that that was like the key strategy was live music for years. And you would hold these events and then you would try to get people saved at them or you would invite them to come to more of these things. And there is this element, and I like what Rick Warren says. He says, when you're bringing people from other churches in your area into your church, you're not growing, you're swelling. (laughs) That's good. Right, because a lot of people, a lot of pastors, right, they would count, well, well, we grew double every year. And it's like, yeah, but you weren't pulling them from people who weren't going to church. You were just the new flavor of the month that a lot of people came to. And there's a lot of there's a lot of emphasis in that, and now you have that with Catholic churches who yeah. view other parishes as the competition, and oh, we're the contemporary church. Well, we're the traditional church. We're we're the we don't know what we are church, so we're everything yeah. church. You know, we're the round church that was built in the 1960s. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh no! There's one right at, down the street. At the risk of at the risk of adding more critical comments here, I'll say that I, I see that all the time here in the South. So I live in Florida, but if you look yeah. at uh, Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, Alabama. Uh, if you move a little further west of Texas, you take that back. Bo- you take bo- that back. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we're, we're booming. I mean, if you look at the yeah. numbers, we're we're swelling to use Rick's language here. And many parishes, many people that I've talked to, uh, will hold their own parish or their own diocese up as a model of evangelization because mm-hmm. they say what we're doing must be working. Because look how many people are pouring into our churches. Our biggest mm-hmm. problem is creating enough parking lots, right? So we yeah. must yep. be doing something well. But uh, to your point, I think it, most of these gains are purely demographic shifts, people yeah. coming down from the north or people coming up from Mexico. And so it, it actually becomes uh, pro- <laughs> counterintuitively a big problem because when you're, gro- when you're growing and you think it's because you're doing something right, you go into maintenance mode and double down on what you're do- already doing, yeah. which really didn't move the needle at all. It just it is an illusion. And so I, I like it whenever, say, our numbers are low, because that tells you, all right, we're doing something wrong. You know, or, I'm not exactly thrilled when the numbers start to get high. I, I get a little on edge because maybe you're doing the wrong things or maybe the numbers are deceiving you. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it's, it's so much as a matter of interpretation, right? That's the scary thing about numbers, because then you can say, well, the, our numbers are dwindling because we're actually really faithful, and those are the losers that are, right. it, we've ejected. Or, right. you know, using the language from Rebuilt, we are growing by attrition because these are the, these are the people who are religious consumers, and they won't come along with our in- reinvention of the parish. And I met a couple of those quote-unquote religious consumer disinfer- and they're like the holiest people you'd ever meet. And they are active evangelists. They just hated that green and blue lights were the only lights in the sanctuary. And <laughs> all of a sudden they're painting this bad thing, but their church is growing because, you know, I mean, well, for a lot of reasons, I think they're doing a lot of things right. And I think they're doing a lot of things wrong. And I, I'm not shying away from that, but they have, um, you know, they can draw in a lot of people who are looking for a contemporary analog in the Catholic Church to an evangelical mm-hmm. megachurch. And then you have the tradies. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I hate anyone who identifies where they stand in the liturgy, but a traddie who, who um, I, well, gosh, who was it? Was it Monsignor Charles? Uh, he wrote this. I, I want to say it was him. He wrote this really wonderful article about the Latin liturgy, and he says, um, excuse me, we need to be evangelizers too. And he talked about how a lot of these, you know, huge growth of, of Latin-only um, Churches have happened, you know, thanks to Pope Benedict and, and, and Pope John Paul II, that a lot of these churches have grown to celebrate the Latin um, 1962 Roman Missal in Latin. And what they're coming to discover is the more that these have grown, oh, wouldn't you know it, there's not a lot of people in all these pews. It used to be you'd have two parishes that do in Latin. What would you hear? You would hear, oh, well, we, we don't have enough room for everyone. We're filling to the brim. And it's like because the entire city that likes that has to go to your church. But now that you have <laughs> ten... Yeah. You can't even fill one mass, and that and it's a problem going. And this guy was I really I don't know if it was Monsignor Charles, but he, he it was a really uh, very insightful, self reflective article, being like, "Listen, we love the Latin liturgy, but that doesn't mean then that we get to wall ourselves off from the project of evangelization of being missionaries." You know, and uh, you find that across the board. Oh, we're the contemporary church next to three churches that only cater to the senior citizens, what's going to happen? Well, all the people who feel like they're being ignored will come to your church. Oh, our church is booming. It's because of praise and worship, or it's because we use this program. And I think I think a lot of people need to, I think there needs to be a lot more discernment when we start looking at these stats, you know? And 
And I'm just so afraid, like you said. I, I love the fact that you look at the numbers and then you say, now really, what, what is going on with this, right? You, yeah. you can't just accept them. and be Like when we release an episode, if we release a crappy episode or an episode that isn't super, I'm going to use the word that I've heard a thousand times, vulnerable. If we use an inauthentic, non-artisanal episode, but something that's very pop culture-ish and we get a lot of views, the temptation is going to be to release another one of those, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That's the temptation because we want the audience. But at the same time, are we going to lose our voice in the process? I'm always, I'm always scared of that. Yeah, <laughs> me too. But and, and, well uh, yeah, Patreon.com/slash CF. <laughs> <laughs> if everyone gave two dollars, we could quit our jobs. <laughs> Please let me quit Everything. my job. <laughs> uh, we we have this ongoing joke that everyone who who's like in ministry is dying for a way out. Yeah. So, oh. not that we really like want to get out of it, but. Just kidding, Father Tom, who apparently (laughs) listens to the last three episodes. Just kidding, Director of Development for the Archdiocese Mm. and my mentor. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, I don't know. I I also I want to change gears. I know we're winding down the episode now, but uh, crap. My mom just like texted me about the game that I'm that I'm trying to watch. I don't know what to do. Boo! boo. No, I'm going to watch. Hmm? Uh, Brandon, you are you're a convert from uh, the Reformed tradition, right? (laughs) Uh, I was born and raised pres- Presbyterian, uh, and then I, when I was in college, I got really involved with a Methodist campus ministry, and then I became Catholic. Gotcha, gotcha. Man, are you seeing what I'm seeing about the rise of Reform, especially Reform Baptist? Are yeah. you? Oh, yeah. Are, I, I, do, I do not think there is another group in Christianity left. There's non-denominational evangelicals, and then there's the gung-ho Reform Baptists. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of them. You know, I actually live here three or four minutes away from uh, Reformed Theological Seminary here in Orlando, which is one of the big, uh, biggest Reformed seminaries in the country. It's started by R.C. Sprawl, uh, and <laughs> it's, it's interesting. So I'm rubbing shoulders very often, especially in the bookstores here. There's a lot of good theological bookstores in the area uh, with a lot of these young guys. And if, <laughs> I got to say, for many of them, like the, they, I don't. I don't think I've heard any one of them explicitly say this, but the sense I get is that for them, it's either Reformed Baptist, Catholic, or atheism. Like that seems to be yeah. the only options left on the table. Because yeah. I think they 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 recognize that that this sort of surge of Reformed Baptists and Catholics alike take their theology seriously, and and that's attractive to people, and it goes right to the heart of something Bishop Barron has been preaching for years that. You know, when people are leaving the church, the key is not to dial down the intellectual rigor of your teachings, it's to turn it up. People are leaving because they're rejecting dumbed-down Catholicism or dumbed-down Reformed Protestantism, you know, so we shouldn't try to make it more palatable or easier for them to grasp or say, oh, they, you know, they can't handle it, maybe that's why people are leaving. No, they're mm-hmm. leaving because they think it's it's silly, it's childish, you mm-hmm. know, and they grow out of it. So Coloring I, I think Christianity. A, yeah, exactly. So I think mm-hmm. a lot of Reformed pastors are sensing that, too. Uh, a handful of years ago, maybe a couple decades ago, there was a book called The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind. And on page three, the money quote was that the scandal of the evangelical mind is that there is no evangelical mind. And so it was it was uh, a call to arms, and it was written by an evangelical. It was a call to arms saying that, look, we're dropping the ball here intellectually. We got a lot of good services, a lot of good experiences, but we're not offering, especially young people, a lot of intellectual rigor, so we need to up the game. And, and I'm happy to say that many Protestants have, and I think uh, we Catholics should follow that trend too. Yeah, I, th- I think that's—I uh, loved when um, Barron brought that up during— the keynote because that's something that I had experienced in um, a conference that we do like three weeks bef- bef- before where it was um, like, because it's really heady. I mean, this like whole high school conference is, um, is rooted in Ratzinger and, um, um, and von Balthasar and like all the like theology that's like kind of heavy, you know, and which, we which, just, which like, conference is this Luke? What are you um, talking about? I can't say the name because oh, okay. it's my gotcha. work thing, but yeah, um, it's it. Uh, but I, I heard there's a conference called Abide, and they may or may not do that. That's gotcha. what I hear. I've never heard of that. Um, <laughs> and so, um, well, come on, eggshells. <laughs> and um, you know, it just and it was and we um, and this guy who um, uh, helps us out with is like he one of the things that he talked about was like keep the bar high. Because the kids are gonna like, they can rise to that. 
Yes, you know? make them jump. Make a jump a little. That's what yeah, Bishop Barron says. Raise, yeah. the, raise the bar. Make them jump a little. Yeah, and like we want that. You know, like that's why I love Catholic stuff. You, sh- um, Catholic stuff like you. Um, I should you know should know that podcast because you like, should know the name of it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, <laughs> slam, slam. Like, I know all those guys and stuff, and like I just love the fact that they're talking about. Because I'll, I'll be blunt, I didn't listen to their podcast until we until we until we started ours. I didn't listen to anything besides like sports and tech stuff, so it was a little bit different. But um, I was like, oh my gosh, like this is actually interesting. Like this is not just the same thing. It's not the Krigma repackaged for like podcast land. You know, and I, I love that. Yeah. I, abs- I absolutely love that. So um, thank you. Just, I, I really do appreciate it. And I really like, I want you to know, like, I, um, uh, I'm, I, uh, like, I'm sorry if I came across like a huge, uh, there's a, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to go for a non-explicit tag here. So like, I, I definitely don't think you're a heretic. <laughs> Let me just say that. It's not thank what you. I was, that's not what I definitely don't so think. The, it, so. the excommunication has been lifted formally. <laughs> if anything, well, it's uh, air. No, no, no. <laughs> we'll like, say, we'll say informally lifted. I mean, we are Fine. millennials. No, and, we are millennials. Like, somebody, somebody once told me, he said, it was a priest actually, he said, I don't think there's a priest who's preached a homily that has not had <laughs> at least one informal heresy in it. So oh, totally. if, that's, yeah. if that's the boat I'm in, then I'm probably in good company. When, when, like, <laughs> uh, when I used to teach high school, for some stupid reason, they had me teach a theology class every year. And any time that I was like asked a thing, I'm like, oh, crap, I don't know. I'd always like stop like in class out loud. I would like point my eyes towards um, the sky and go, please don't let this be heresy. So here's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> Good. No, and guys, I mean, let me echo again. I, I am almost completely sympathetic with everything you've said here, with everything you've said in the podcast. It sounds like maybe there's some differentiation in terms, like how we understand statistics or planning or meetings or that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think we're all of similar mind that, you know, we need to address these problems. They're real problems. They can't be summed up with statistics. Statistics aren't the end game for the church. If we're chasing numbers, you're failing. So I, I'm with you guys on the same wavelength on just about everything. Yeah, you just gotta get. Yeah, I think you gotta be as edgy as Luke. You gotta be edgy. (laughs) (laughs) edgy. That's that is what my wife uh, told me. She was like, "I think you guys agree like a lot more than uh, than uh, what like you think." So it was, uh, yeah. It was. (laughs) I don't know what I'm trying to say. Um, I'm through my half a glass of pappy. So Um, he's drinking. What is that? You just drank two hundred dollars. I yes. So the the drink that I I just had, if I had gotten that at a bar, that would have been about like a hundred dollars, hundred (laughs) ten. Someone someone gave him. I wanted or he won. That's what it was. He won it as a like was an auction item or yeah. It it was it was like a happy van. uh, It was for the school that Aaron used uh, to work at. They had a thing where if you bought like eighty dollars, not eighty dollars, like twenty five dollars to get into this drawing, you could you win a bottle of Pappy Van Van Winkle. And I I want yeah. So it 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 goes for anywhere from depending upon where you are, it can be from about one to two thousand dollars. Yeah. It's Man. pretty great. Are you a are you a drinker, Brandon? Not much. No, I never have acquired the taste. You're you're a teetotaler. <laughs> Not a teetotaler. I, I'm just I'll drink I'll just... on occasion, but I don't. For I haven't. I didn't get the gene to enjoy it. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, and once you start enjoying it, you got to get a new pair of jeans because you gain so much weight. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. See what I did there, guys. See what I did there. Uh, yeah. I. You know. I just. I never drank until I turned 21. I think literally there's maybe three times in my life where I had some beer not even a bottle right and always in the knowledge I mean, i'm very homeschooled always in the sight of my parents and when i turned 21 i was going up to franciscan for a summer um to do summer classes there and i said okay i'm turning 21 may 25th and we're, we go to this amazing hole in the wall bar called cross creek tavern where they pitchers, still go by the way pitcher yeah they still go i know where pitchers are five dollars for killian's <laughs> irish red and i said i'm gonna learn to drink Killian's Irish Red, and I'm, that's going to be my go-to beer. And it took me about, I would say, three trips to not be disgusted with, <laughs> with beer and to enjoy it. And uh, from that day on, just put a straw in a pitcher, and I'm a happy man. <laughs> Good. I also have cardiovascular problems, but that's a totally different thing. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything you want to plug? Uh, 
uh, Brandon, going uh, going out? Where can people find you? Oh, what do you thank wanna... you guys. Yeah, nothing to plug, but a huge congratulations to you guys for your hundredth episode. It's an impressive accomplishment. Thank you. Uh, you guys are doing great things. I'm pulling for you, and uh, keep. Up you all say that work. now, and then you hear other episodes, <laughs> you'll be like, "Oh wow, never mind. <laughs> Why yeah. did I do well, that? Wait till episode one hundred and one, <laughs> yeah. where it's nothing but Game of Thrones apologetics." Um, <laughs> I know you just released the the Claire Claire Claritin. What is the thing? The I, yeah, I went through like Clar- five of the videos. Claritin D. It's a medication for Cl- Catholics. Claritin uh, no, D. Okay. <laughs> it's called Claritas U. So Latin Claritas. word for clarity, and it's an online membership site for Catholics to help them get clear about their faith and particularly how to discuss issues that typically make them nervous or, or awkward or afraid. So think things like uh, atheism or same-sex marriage or the Bible or transgenderism. So it's a series of, of courses and videos and teachings that we put together. Uh, I sort of soft-launched it in March, so I only opened it up for a week so people could only sign up during March, but I'm going to reopen it in September. So lots of exciting things going on there. Cool. It's a really cool community. We've got lots of hundreds of of uh, priests and seminarians and religious, lots and lots of lay people. So really good stuff. Nice. And what about uh, Strange Notions, which I think is a gem? Yeah, Strange Notions is still going strong. So that's the website I started to bring atheists and Catholics together in dialogue. Uh, it's, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't want to reference the numbers, touchy topic here, uh, but it's, it's doing, doing well. Lots of, lots of conversations, <laughs> lots of people sending behind the scenes emails about yeah. ways that the site has helped them or affected them. So, yeah, it's still going, still going well. Cool. That's awesome. Awesome. And I do. Thanks I was just man. reading your, uh, your book on. Um, Oh, bringing young adults home. Bring in, yeah, bring, return, return. Return. How to draw your child back to the church. Yeah, I wrote that last year uh, to sort of fill a need that I, I saw was, was huge. There wasn't a lot of materials to help parents themselves. You know, what yeah. can a parent do to help a young person who's left the church? Uh, and, and again, to echo lots of things we've said in this episode, it's very clear up front. This is not a formula. This is not yeah. uh, like, a, like a, a plan where if you, if you do these five steps, you're guaranteed to lead someone back. But you can, through specific actions, uh, you know, I talk about praying and fasting and offering sacrifices. Yeah. I talk about having conversations. You can increase the odds dramatically. You can create an environment where it's more likely that they'll return to Christ in the church. So that's what mm-hmm. that book's all about. Yeah, it's cool. a good book. Are you on uh, Twitter? I am. Yeah, Brandon Vot, just my name. Brandon Vot, and that last name is spelled V O G T. Vogt. Vogt. <laughs> you can pronounce it on Twitter any way you like, <laughs> as long as you spell it correctly. Uh, and That's you can right. find Luke at the Luke the. You can find me at layevangels.com. And if you are so motivated, you'll want to head over to Patreon.com/slash/cf. Uh, or probably even better, patreon.com slash the crunch and donate to other people's podcasts. No, no, no. No, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. <laughs> Brandon, thank you so much for being here. Um, yeah, man, thank you. Yeah, my delight, guys. Good talking with you. Hey, can I ask you a, a totally unrelated question? Does Bishop Barron sure. drink whiskey, scotch, or bourbon? <laughs> I have a bet He's going the, with someone. He is not. He drinks about as little as I do. He's not a big drinker either. Oh, I just imagine him sitting in like a barca lounger with three fingers of scotch and just, you know, reading the Nick and McKeon ethics. Being like, you know, think about Dylan is this. <laughs> he, drink, he drinks leather-bound theology books that are distilled <laughs> into a glass. <laughs> <laughs> Smells of rich mahogany. I get it. I get it. <laughs>